FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. Hello, I'm Bernard Gersh at the Mayo Clinic, and with me is Dr. Sharon Mulvey, who is Director of the Women's Heart Clinic and Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. And uh, the title of our discussion is The Hormonal Dilemma, which I think, um, at least from my own perspective, we could subtitle An Acute Confusional State. <laughs> and <laughs> Sharon, I want in you to enlighten us. Yes, right? So, so <laughs> it's another form of acute coronary syndrome, acute confusional state. I, all I know is we've had observational studies for years that said hormone replacement therapy was good, for women, it's clear that there were multiple, multiple confounders. We then had the Women's Health Initiative, WHI, the NHLBI trial, said hormone replacement therapy was bad for women. Now we've had a number of mechanistic studies that suggest it's good for women and a big Danish study that says hormone uh, replacement therapy is is a good thing. So. Take us through it, Sharon, because I am getting confused. I'm Very not, sh- good. not getting, I am confused. It's a tall order to be charged with uh, actually having to heal your co- your acute <laughs> confusional state, uh, acute on chronic. No, no, or it's probably subacute, actually. <laughs> Sub- <laughs> what I mean, acute on chronic burden. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really been so, such an interesting time uh, to go through. Uh, the last uh, decade or so has really been a roller coaster. Um, it, as you clearly stated, there were uh, observational studies which suggested that uh, hormone therapy probably was cardiovascular protective. And indeed, we know that there were the PEPI trials that showed that there were definite beneficial effects on hor- of right. uh, estrogen uh, on our uh, lipid profiles. So, um, you know, era of uh, evidence-based medicine, randomized, randomized clinical trials. So uh, we uh, outcome the, out uh, came the um, uh, Women's Health Initiative, which was a, a huge study, excellent study, that the intention was excellent. Um, to uh, look at uh, women uh, and endpoints with respect to heart endpoints with cardiovascular disease, uh, breast cancer, um, there are numerous uh, bones, etc., to be able to evaluate the effects of uh, estrogen uh, in the form of Premarin, which is conjugated equine estrogen, and in those women that um, did have a uterus, i.e. had not had a hysterectomy, um, the um, uh, pro- progesterone was uh, medroxyprogesterone acetate. So it was Prempro that was given in the women with a uterus. And then in those, that was about 16, a cohort of about 16,000. And then in the other women uh, who had had hysterectomy, um, estrogen alone in the form of um, uh, Premarin, uh, with, which is the conjugated equine estrogens, was utilized. And this was with placebo controlled arms in each of those huge groups. And um, the study was to go on for uh, quite some time, but actually, as we all recall, in the early uh, 2000s, 2002 and 2003 respectively, um, the trials were uh, halted. And that was because it appeared that Now, remember, these are primary prevention trials, and so primary prevention can show no harm. It must show benefit. And so there was a signal that there was harm with um, an increased uh, overall global risk score in the treated groups. And And, and, and I think, uh, I mean, one thing we've learned from the randomized trials is uh, at least, uh, uh, I think we haven't learned it, but they've certainly confirmed it, and that is the overwhelming power of confounders. Yes. The, the whole issue of moderate alcohol intake and coronary disease may, may be just an association. It may not be cause and effect. And 
I think this was the case here. You mean with respect to the observational aspect? The obs- yes. I mean, you know, observational yeah. studies Tra- demonstrate associations. By, yeah. but right, right. But, you know, we have to be cautious, particularly in the WHI. There's a big caution here because even though they're, as I said, very well-designed uh, randomized clinical trials, the problem was was that we were not necessarily looking at the physiologic process at the right time. The mean age of women enrolled in the WHI was 63. The mean age of menopause in North America is? 50-something? Yeah, 51, 52. So women were well past, a decade past their menopause when they were enrolled in this study. Does that make good sense? That's what we're left with now. So that that is why when, you know, and I didn't elaborate. Bring bring, bring in the Danish study. Right. Well, we're not there yet because I have to tell you that when they actually went to the WHI trial and they started looking by tertiles of ages, for example, the youngest women were 50. And so in the group between 50 to 59, they found that there was actually a reduction in coronary disease events. I remember that. Yes. I do remember that. And also there was a reduction in coronary artery calcification in a sub-study. It wasn't a perfectly matched study, sub-study. They didn't have baseline uh, uh, values, but they found that there was less coronary calcification at the end of the study in those women that had received the hormone therapy than those that had received the placebo. When they looked at the higher tertiles, particularly in those women that were 70 and over, there was an increased incidence in cardiovascular events in those women. So that led to what's called the timing hypothesis, right. that if you administer hormone therapy early on when it's physiologically appropriate, then it might be beneficial in actually protecting from cardiovascular events. And the other thing so was that... We go, can we now go to Denmark? No, there's one other point we have to mention first, and that is, that is that the women, the very women that we see every day that are suffering from vasomotor symptoms yeah. of, of menopause, those very women were excluded from the WHI. If you had significant vasomotor symptoms, you weren't allowed to get in the trial, okay? But again, most women average age were 63, so they're well beyond the vasomotor symptoms. So, But the point is, is that when that made the huge confusion in our clinical practices, because then we had women that were calling at that time and saying, look, you know, hormones are bad. You know, I have to go off my hormones. And these, these at that time appeared to be women that, you know, were early in menopause yeah. and that we probably did them a disservice at that time by stopping their hormones because we made them miserable. And we were really applying data that was for the overall group, which was much older. So that brings us now it's a, to... Well, it's a, no, it's a fascinating story. Yeah, it is a fascinating story. So, I mean, not, not a particularly happy one at the moment. No, it's still, still somewhat confused. But I think that it's getting a little clearer yeah. over time. So actually, before we go to the DOPS, if you don't mind, I'd just like to mention the KEEPS trial. And the KEEPS the, the trial... The Mayo, Mayo Clinic one. Well, actually, it's a multi-center study. It stands for a Kronos Early Estrogen Prevention Study. And it's a multi-center study, eight, nine centers across the U.S., and Mayo was one of the trial sites, and I was a co-I along with my PI, Virginia Miller. And the KEEPS trial was done because of that the concern about the timing hypothesis, and actually not belaboring the point, but there are some animal studies, lovely studies done by Clarkson and colleagues in primates, which showed exactly this. If you gave hormone therapy well past the time of the ovariectomy, that it would actually increase the cardiovascular disease, but if it was given right at the time of ovariectomy Hmm. in primates, then it would prevent it. But so to test that, the KEEPS study was born. Now, 
you, I told you the huge numbers in the WHI trial. Well, my goodness, that's a very hugely expensive trial. To repeat something like that in the younger demographic where it's physiologic relevant, it would be very difficult to do. So instead, surrogate endpoints were, were used uh, so we could get a smaller number. Obviously, women in their early 50s have a less likelihood of developing cardiovascular disease events in that time frame. So to wait for the events, we'd have to have a huge, long trial with yeah. a whole bunch of people. So a surrogate endpoints were used, which was carotid intimate media thickness and coronary artery calcification for evidence of development of atherosclerosis. Surrogates, but fair surrogates. Right. And so the um, in the trial, three arms existed, um, and just over 700 women were enrolled. To get into the trial, you had to be newly menopausal, i.e. within three years of your menopause, having uh, had cessation of periods. We also did yeah. do FSH. The um, important thing was that we test, all women had a, had a uterus, so nobody had had a hysterectomy. So everybody was on an estrogen and a progesterone. Okay. And the estrogen that was used was looking at the hypothesis of transdermal estrogen versus oral estrogen. So, and bioidentical estrogen being uh, those both uh, agents. So beta estradiol was used for the oral and um, a uh, uh, estrogen patch was used for the transdermal. And then there was a placebo arm. And then all of the, uh, the two women, that, the two groups of women that were on active estrogen were receiving prometrium as the progesterone. And prometrium is a natural progesterone, which is felt to have a neutral effect on the cardiovascular system and on lipid profile, et cetera. So it's a, it was a placebo-controlled with two different arms, oral and transdermal estrogen. And at the end of the study, at the end of the four years, the very reassuring thing was, was that there was no difference across the groups. There was no In difference. In terms of carotid intermedial thickness. Exactly. And calcification. So it's safe. It's safe. That's exactly the point. There was no progression. There was no development. Remember, all these women had to have, I forgot to mention that, they didn't have any cardiovascular disease when they came in. Okay. And actually, so a CAC score of 50 There, there was no less. progression. Yeah, exactly. And no regression either, but they didn't have much to They didn't have with. anything to start with. That okay. was the point. But interestingly, in the group that um, uh, had uh, was on the uh, um, estrogen, the two treated groups, there was a trend a trend to reducing the to, to having a slower development of uh, coronary artery calcification. It wasn't significant, but at the end of the four years, those women that were on hormone therapy had a lower coronary right. calcification score than those that had a, ha, uh, that were on placebo. So we don't, you know, the, it certainly wasn't harmful, and there was a trend to benefit. So, to me, the way that I interpret that is that we can be reassured in telling our patients, even though we're not going to use hormone therapy for primary prevention, or certainly not for secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease. That's a done story with hers. That's another old st uh, study. But we certainly do want to consider that we can safely use hormone therapy so, in our women with symptoms. So hers, hers did emphatically show yes. that we cannot use for secondary prevention. And again, that's older women. Okay. So that's the point. The yeah. WHI, Women's Health Initiative, uh, in older women suggests may be harmful 10, 12 years after the menopause. Mechanistically, keeps suggests it is safe. Exactly. So now this does set the framework. And maybe beneficial. For the, for the, for the, and maybe beneficial for yeah. the Danish study. Right. So the Danish study um, stands for the um, DOPS, Danish Osteoporos Osteoporosis Prevention Study, was an open-label randomized clinical trial. That is probably the problem if we're going to pick apart anything, an open-label. But be that as it may. The primary endpoint of that study was hard. It was death, MI, or congestive heart failure admissions. And they actually found that 
they actually had to put the trial, they ended it at, they ended it early because of the data of the WHI. How many patients were enrolled? It was over a thousand, over a thousand women. And they were, they were followed uh, for a, an average of 10 years and they had at least 80% compliance for at least five years oh, on drug. I didn't realize this trial was that old. No, yeah. it's just recently come up, but it had been going on that long. That okay. was the point. Yeah, yeah the yeah. data have just yes. been published. Yes, And these were And it was at aged. five years they decided, they, they, I think it was at five years, the WHI came out, and they said, well, you know, we have to tell you, you can continue or not continue, but most of the women did continue. And their age was? Exactly. It was within seven months of their uh, menopause. So they, so they were all, precisely, all in late 40s, early 50s. I think the average age and was 50 years old was the was average. it was a positive trial. It was in favor, positive. in favor, strongly positive. The hazard ratio was 0.48. There was a 52% reduction in events when they looked at 10 years in these women that had been on hormones since the time of their menopause, basically. Um, no, really, probably one of the trials that, that, uh, of 2012 that's probably going to have the most impact. And in terms of guidelines and your recommendations right now, if you have... A woman who is perimenopausal with vasomotor symptoms, it's pretty clear-cut. She's very symptomatic. But she says, no, I'm fine. feel fine. But I am now perimenopausal, um, and I need some advice from you as to whether to go on hormonal replacement therapy for primary prevention. What are you going to tell her? Oh, I don't think that we have the evidence at the current time to say that for primary prevention. And actually, that goes against what the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force just published, republished again last month, that um, at the current time, hormone, ther hormone replacement therapy should not be used for the prevention of chronic medical conditions in postmenopausal women. Now, I have my issues with that, and we all do in the field, I think, because we're waiting for some more emerging data. So here we come back to the confusional state again. Right. Um, do we have th those data in the pipeline? I mean, I quite understand why the current recommendation says, look, you treat for symptoms, and it's nice to know that the hormone replacement therapy we give is not going to increase cardiovascular disease. But are there other data coming down the in the pipeline that are going to tell us whether we should be using this as a primary preventive measure. Yeah. I mean, we have a very positive trial. You know, I think that the problem is right now these days, Bernard, it's money. That's very, as you know, I mean, that's the huge yeah. expense that it, it took to, to run the WHI. Yeah. So there's hope, though, because, indeed, the Society for Women's Health Research will be meeting again in uh, the end of this month um, in uh, D.C., and they are the, the leading luminaries in this area. Um, all of the major investigators and the you know folks that have been in, uh, intrinsically involved in the WHI from the outset, uh, those that have been involved in KEEPS, I'm not sure if they're inviting right. someone for the yeah. DOP study, but they are going to review all of this data and try to come together with some consensus-type statements as some guidelines for us to move forward. Right now, I, I really, you know, you can't say that you can use it for primary prevention. Oh, but you it does, can't. it seems to me that this is the kind of trial. I mean, one trial leads to, you know, all good trials generate questions right. and some answers. And I think this is what we've seen, eh? questions, new trial, new answers. But this, this is the kind of trial that I I think, you know, government agencies should fund because industry is not going to do it. And we obviously need more, more data. I agree. And the other thing that we have to recognize, as always, is that randomized clinical trials are, are you know, they're helpful. 
but the patient is sitting in front of us. We have to individualize for our patient what is necessary. And if you had told me that that patient that you just described a few minutes ago has osteoporosis or has a severe risk for developing osteoporosis and already has a, you know, a T-score that's really quite significantly right. reduced, then I would say... I would really wonder, you have a few hot flashes, don't you? And let's just go mm -hmm. ahead. You know, So I think that it's very important to individualize for the patient. Thanks so much, Sharon. This really is going to be very useful for me and for our listeners. Great. Thank Thanks, you. Bernard. Thank Pleasure you. as always. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. Visit theheart.org to find out more.